TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. So, with no further ado, I have with me Marcus Pierce. Hello, Marcus. Uh, good morning. Good morning to you, Elise. And uh, thank you so much for having me and to everyone watching this morning. Good morning to you. And uh, kudos to you, Elise, darling, for putting this event on. I am just, I saw our mutual friend Kane Johnson this morning. And I was thinking, what a remarkable initiative uh, this has been. I was feeling a little bit powerless after the floods of what to do and how to do it, and you came up with this wonderful idea. So thanks so much for uh, for generating it. Oh, thanks, Marcus, and thanks for being a part of it. I was thinking, I was driving through Tallowood this morning, dropping Dylan off, and I was like, I could just go to Marcus's house for this. I don't even, like, I should have just turned up and said, I'm here, ready for 10 o'clock. <laughs> Sarah and I had a little breakfast date this morning uh, in Bruns. The kids are... Uh, up at their Nana and Pa's at the minute uh, for the next hour or so so that I can do this. I don't have a lock on my office door, so uh, if random children come uh, streaming in, uh, then then that's why. But um, I just think, yeah, I mean, the very fact that you and I live so close together but we've got these uh, interstate friends that want to contribute. A lot of our friends that live outside of our community want to uh, help people that have been affected by the floods. And so I just I'm so in love with this initiative because it allows those people to feel like they're contributing meaningfully yeah absolutely so today and it's a very lovely topic that you're talking about today um and i think it's it's very pertinent at the moment and we've seen this happening in our community how important the connection is and how important community is and i know you talk a lot about it in your podcast 100 not out um what you know the and and the time you spend in blue zone areas and what those aspects are of life that make you really healthy. And I love your 100 Not Out podcast because it really is going to the source. It's like, well, these are the people doing the thing. Mm. Like they're the people that are living the long, healthy, happy lives. So let's find out what they're doing rather than just, you know, all nutrition, all exercise, you know, the way that we've done it. Absolutely. I'm so obsessed with this. So obsessed, Elise, that Sarah's mum and dad literally live two doors up from us. We've created our own little blue zone three-generation community because I, I I believe so strongly. And that doesn't mean that everyone has to do that because the first question I always get asked is, you get on with your in-laws? I'm like, absolutely, I love them to bits. Um, so I think today it's going to seem a little bit idealistic, romantic, uh, but what I want is really for people to start wherever they are. Um, and if that is to begin with a belief that community is really important uh, and there are consequences if we don't create it, whatever it looks like for us um, as individuals, I think that's that's where to start. It is absolutely essential to a great long life. Yeah, and if it can't be family, you make friends family. So Friends are your family. Like this is the 100%. And so many people that I know that either are adopted or um, are disenfranchised from their community for so many reasons friends um i think blood is thicker than water doesn't really roll with me a lot of the time because often you find that your friends are there for you more because they have um we are attract ourselves to more like-minded people and our our family is often not like-minded and that's okay they're our family they're not our like-minded friends if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so i think it's so important that community is not about family community is about love and connection regardless of you know whereabouts on the family tree they sit 
Absolutely. I live on a property where I've got my friends are like my family here. I am blessed with like-minded, amazing family. They just don't live near me. Um, But I have a family in that house, like just over in that direction. I've got a family right next door and all the kids play together. And we are all like, I can walk into any of those houses any time of the day and start getting food out of their cupboards. Like, it's just like, you know, it's like home. So yeah, you can make it any way that you can. Now just a couple of rookie questions because I apologize. I saw the highlights of yesterday on Instagram, but I was coming, I was flying back from Sydney. So I missed the main body of the presentations. Um, Are people taking, um, uh, do you want me to take some questions at the end? Are people streaming? Yes. So I think we've had a bit of an issue. It's not amazing the the um, the comment section I've chosen. I've got Discus. So anyone watching, you do have to just create an account with Discus and log in, and then you can comment there. If you're on YouTube watching, you can comment on YouTube if you're logged in. So if anyone does have any questions, go ahead and log into Discus. A couple of people have, so we have had a couple um, of comments there. Um, and you can comment below if you're on the wellbellyhealth.com.au website watching from the embedded YouTube video. Below that, you'll see it there. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, if you are logged in, you're able to comment on YouTube. I'll keep an eye on all of that. Okay. Um, and I can pass that all on to you at the end, Marcus. So I'm going to turn my camera and video and sound off now and I'll hand over to you. Um, but I'm here listening if you need me and I'll keep an eye on the comments. Can you just make sure I can share my screen? I can make sure you can do that. Done. Thank you. All righty. And so I'll leave about five minutes at the end for Q&A. If there's, um, if there's, otherwise, we'll just chat amongst ourselves. Great. Happy days. Thanks so much, Elise. Thanks, Marcus. All righty. So what I'll do first of all is always that little awkward moment where I get my slides ready to rock and then I'll hit share screen and we will go right here. Um, and Elise, I'm just going to assume that you can see my screen now. If there, if you cannot, just come back in and let me know. Uh, but I really want to thank everyone for having me. Um, I think as I said at the beginning, it's an incredible topic. I'm so grateful for the timing. Like locals and people outside of the area have felt uh, really helpless um, for a large chunk of this period, uh, particularly when you're not handy. I'm really not that handy. So uh, Maya and I, my daughter and I did a couple of things um, just after the floods. Uh, Maya was in Mullumbimby the day after um shoveling and getting rid of the mud and cleaning up what she could. I was trapped in the Sunshine Coast. I was up near Jules Galloway. I couldn't get down. I'd been in Noosa for my mum's 70th birthday when the floods were happening and I couldn't get home because of the uh, highway was closed. So I was at Kim Morrison's house with Cindy O'Meara um, for two or three days, which was so good because you know, you can imagine great friends to be around during such a, a stressful time. Um, but I think what I really want to talk about today is not so much about the floods per se, because I know we're joining um, this event from all over the world, but really what the floods have done for that feeling of community, that renewal of community. And I think what lessons any of us around the world can learn about from events such as this, which again, many people watching or listening today may have experienced in their life, um, where something that has rocked their community, whether it was an earthquake, um, dare I say it, whether it was someone got murdered in the local community, whether there was just a grievous or massively volatile event that rocked the community to its core. In many ways, if you speak to people around here, it's almost felt like a purging and that doesn't always feel good, particularly when you've got friends, family that have lost their homes and so on. But it's felt like um, an opportunity for many people to start again. And again, I don't say that 
with any sense of relief. There's a lot of pain involved in all of that. But on a bigger picture, I want to open us all to the foundation and meaning of community. Now, before I do, I want to uh, hit home with some really important facts and figures, and then I'll tell a little story before I get into the meat on the bone. Uh, Australia is known as a lucky country, and I do think we are very fortunate that we are equal fourth on the ladder for longevity, and I want everyone to really own this. Uh, I want you just to consider how lucky you are to be in a country where longevity is something that you are going to be able to do um, whether you are healthy or not. This is kind of what I think many of us need to recognize is that we live in a country where for want of a better term, modern medicine will keep you alive for a long time even if you don't have the health to enjoy it. So we live on average for 83 years but here's the biggest, biggest um, elephant in the room that no one really talks about. If you have a look at quality of life, so not quantity, quality of life, we go from fourth on the ladder for quantity to 15th on the ladder for long uh, for quality of life. We have, if you see on the far right here in the big in the blue box, 71.9 years of great quality of life, which means we have about 11 years of morbidity, whether that's in hospital, whether that's in a nursing home, whether that's sitting on a couch having 13 or 14 medications a day, watching TV, not really uh, having the health or energy to go for a walk, not having the quality of life where you can do what you want, when you want, how you want and with you want, uh, with who you want to. So I want you to really own that this is important and just bear with me because an alarm's about to go off. It is something that we need to take heed of. It is an alarm. And I know that may have shocked some people that were watching this. Don't worry, there's no fire or smoke anywhere around here. But I want to wake people up to the very fact that we are living in a country where we suck our quality of life as we get older. And we're all in that country um, if you are watching this in Australia. Um, so what do we do about it? How do we live? This is part of my whole adventure in life as a journalist. I am a journalist by profession. Um, I want to share a bit of that with you in a moment just to let you know why I'm so um, determined to share this message. But here's just what I want to go through with you today. First of all, there is a blueprint to living an exceptional life. Again, if you come from the world that maybe Elise and I come from, we often think that it's our nutrition. Um, I thought it was being vegan. I'll share a bit more about that with you in a moment. Uh, but there is a blueprint where nutrition is not at the top. Uh, there are eight steps or eight ingredients in the recipe uh, called an exceptional life. I'm going to share those ingredients with you in a moment. But the order and the amount by which we put those ingredients into the fry pan determine what the recipe called life tastes like. And so I really want to share that with you. And if that's all you take away from today, then I think you've had a victory if it's if it's brand new too. I want to talk about community spirit. I want to talk about four ways to become a better friend. I think many of us in this uh, local community have really been challenged by that in a good way uh, in the last month or so. If I get time, I want to talk about the five golden rules of alcohol because in our community, uh, particularly in Australia and other younger countries, we really don't have a very mature approach to alcohol. And then I'm going to encourage you with some next steps moving forward. So if we are yet to meet, uh, a little bit about me, four kids, uh, any of them could walk through the door at any moment, crying, laughing, screaming, uh, tears of joy, tears of sorrow. Uh, but uh, this photo was taken, I reckon, two years ago. I I'm really struggling to find a more up-to-date photo. It's hard to get a photo of six uh, these days. Um, but my beautiful wife, Sarah, uh, four beautiful kids, Maya, Darby, Tommy, and Spencer, live up here in Mullumbimby, just around the corner from Elise. Haven't been into health and wellness my whole life. Grew up on party pie, sausage rolls, white potato, white milk I had milk for dinner uh, rev milk when I first met my beautiful wife Sarah she was shocked that no matter the dinner I had uh, rev milk every night loved it loved it um, 
Loved a good old cigarette. Smoked thousands of cigarettes in my time. Uh, did a lot of things. Uh, but uh, this was in 1999, as you can tell. Health was not really, physical health was not really a big part of my existence or my paradigm. When I met Sarah, who's a chiropractor by profession, retired now, um, she was really the catalyst for um, improving my physical health. I've always been into personal growth, but I don't know about you, uh, physical health was always the step that I kind of just glossed over because it was just too inconvenient and it just wasn't a strong muscle. So that turned around uh, quite a lot, became a raging vegan. Uh, I worked in sports media for seven years. This was during my raging vegan times, 2006. For those of you that like football, that's the AFL footy show. Uh, this was my last show. By this stage, my nickname had gone from MP or PC to Mungbean because I'd gone from Red Bull and cigarettes to a ginger tea, freshly grated and raw cashews. Um, I was having a chickpea dal instead of a chicken schnitzel for lunch. Um, but I was inspired. But I was also on my way out of the sports media because I really wanted to transition into personal growth media, health and wellness media and the rest. Now, I thought that that meant that uh, being vegan was the the pinnacle of longevity. I genuinely believe that at about 25 years of age. Um, Sarah and I lived in Ireland for a year. We cut out uh, alcohol. Uh, we didn't have a drink for five or six years. We were really of the belief that if you were vegan and maybe even if you were a teetotaler, then you were going to live uh, longer than anyone else. And, uh, you know, poor those poor unfortunate souls that weren't enlightened like we were, that were eating meat on a regular basis and having a glass of wine, they just hadn't realized uh, how deleterious that was to their health. That was the, the view of us mere mortals at uh, 25 years of age. So then I read a book called Healthy 100. It was in the year 2010. Um, and uh, John Robbins, who is the heir to the throne of Baskin Robbins Ice Cream, uh, is a very well-known author in the vegan health uh, sphere. And so I read Healthy at 100, expecting to have my views reaffirmed that uh, veganism was the pinnacle of longevity. Now, I got uh, two pages into the introduction, and John Robbins shared a, a study done by the Yale School of Public Health. And over the course of 20 years, the researchers at Yale asked uh, 600 people uh, the same questions and those questions were as you age you become less useful agree or disagree as you age you become more of a burden on society agree or disagree as you age you realize your best years are behind you agree or disagree now I invite you to ask yourself those questions and when I tell you the answers uh, or the results of the answers to those questions I think you may agree with me that the epiphany that I had is something that when we become aware of it whilst it may not be easy to change it's something incredibly consequential. What this research found was that the people that had a disempowered view of aging, the people that believed that their best years were behind them, the people that felt that they were a burden on society, on their family, on the tax system, on the hospitals, on everyone, those people died seven and a half years earlier than people that had an empowered view of aging. And I want that to really sit with you for a moment because here I was, being vegan, not having a drop of alcohol, exercising, meditating, writing my gratitude journal, having literally roast pumpkin salads every day with avocado, olive oil, olives. I remember it like it was yesterday. I had the same lunch every day. Anyway, I thought that was the path. And all it took was this book, two pages of this book, to recognize that it was all up here. It was a belief about my life, a belief about the future that was more important than what I ate because this study didn't measure diet, it didn't measure genes, it didn't measure exercise, it didn't measure wealth, it didn't measure families or marital status, it didn't measure how many friends you had. 
all it measured was a belief. And that really got me thinking as to, oh my gosh, what if I've been wrong this whole time about veganism and cutting out alcohol and going down this path of longevity if it wasn't actually the true path to longevity? So in my curiosity, again, journalist by profession, uh, I started a podcast called 100 Not Out with uh, Dr. Damien Christoph, who at the time was co-host of the number one health podcast um around the country called The Wellness Guys. Uh, We've been running 100 Not Out. We just did our ninth birthday. We're up to episode 471, I think, on Monday. And over those years, uh, we have been interviewing the graceful ages, the people that I like to call the exceptionals, on what it takes to live a great long life. I've distilled a lot of that wisdom down into what I call the Exceptional Life Blueprint and uh, about 10 months ago released that in a book called Your Exceptional Life. Now, in case I forget, anyone that's watching this that has been affected by the floods, I want you all to have a book uh, on me free of charge. If you just send me an email, I've got my email address on the last slide. Um, I want you to have a book. I, I The day after I got back, um, I went to where we used to live, South Golden Beach, and we were helping out or door knocking and helping out uh, our friends that had been flooded in. And a lady saw me and she said, uh, my book's for sale at the local store in South Golden at Mrs. Birdie's. And she said, didn't you write the book, Your Exceptional Life? And I said, I did. But today is not the day to talk about it. Today is not the day to think about your exceptional life. The day Today is the day to clean up everyone's houses and get this town back on its feet. And I say that because I've really grappled over the last 10 months, but particularly over the last month, is when is the right time to have a conversation about living your exceptional life? We live in such uncertain times at the minute. It almost feels like we're just taking it day by day because, you know, who wants to book flights 12 months in advance? Who wants to book attending events 12 months in advance? Who wants to book anything, you know, more than a week or two, you know, maybe a month in advance? And most of the time, they're just little local holidays. Um, But I'm now beginning to come out of the cave of thinking, okay, I do think now is the time when people want to go, I think it's time to design or maybe time to redesign my life. And if a part of that is um, redesigning your definition and connection to community, then again, I'll do what I can today. But there's about 50 pages of just community work in this book, which I feel really strongly about um, that I think is a, I think it's a, a very helpful way to help you define what exceptional community is to you. So some of the people that, that uh, we feature, the God of Sight, Dr. Sandal Ruin, Charles Eugster, the oldest uh, man to run over 200 meters, the fastest man over 200 meters for people over 95. Eddie JQ, you may have read his book, The World's Happiest Man, the late, great Eddie JQ. Um, on the female side, people like Madonna Buda, she started running age 48. Jan Smith is a psychologist from Melbourne. She started mountaineering age 65 and is the oldest Western woman to climb Everest. She uh, summited Everest on her 68th birthday. Uh, Ruth Frith, the late, great Ruth Frith, she started athletics at age 74 and became a world master's gold medalist um, uh, when she was 101. So there are incredible people doing incredible things and I want to share with you a distillation of what they have in common before we talk about exceptional community. So there are eight areas of life. You may have seen wheels of life and other things where you um, assess your life. I don't think they're all equal. Um, I don't believe that they're eight equal pieces of a, of a puzzle or a pie or a wheel or a pizza. Um, I actually think there's a foundation. Uh, the top, the summit is not wealth, which a lot of people look at this exceptional life blueprint and think, oh, is the pinnacle of my life getting to wealth? No, the smallest piece of your life is your wealth. Um, our longevity is based around three critical factors. Doing what we love and loving what we do, 
moving, transforming from exercise to movement. So movement in a way that we love to move, whether it's jogging or dancing or swimming or skipping or doing what Elise does and dancing on the beach and posting it on Instagram reels and making us all laugh, having a great social life in our community, amongst our friends, whether it's people that we work with, whether it's in our family dynamic, just relating to humanity in a way that brings us joy. They are the three critical factors for longevity. It's not nutrition or family or growth or wealth. They will not actually make you live longer, as controversial as that may sound. What nutrition and family and growth and wealth will do is give you a great quality of life. And I'll share that a bit more with you in just a moment. And then I put a big circle around it and say you must put your spirit into every single area of your life, in your work, in your movement, in your social life, your nutrition, your family life, your growth, and your wealth. Your spirit, soul, and faith must uh, incorporate itself into every single area of life. Now, why do I feel so strongly about this? Because I believe there are consequences, both good and bad, or exceptional and mediocre when we uh, do or don't make these a priority. My big thing is if you only look at one area of life and try and win at that, but you don't look at the other areas of life, the consequences are absolutely brutal. So you live a great life purpose, so you love your work. Again, my wife, Sarah, she wanted to stop working as a chiropractor so she so she could be a full-time uh, full is not a, a great word these days. So she could be, put all of her attention into raising children because she didn't enjoy splitting or wearing two hats, whereas I've got other female friends that love uh, wearing two hats, sometimes even three hats. They might have two businesses and children and, and hubby or partner or whatever it is. So um, this is different for everyone. But if you love what you do and do what you love, you'll be inspired. And if you don't, well, you get years down the track and you are filled with regret. And that's a very real thing. Uh, my good friend, Ronnie Ware wrote the top five regrets of the dying. My book, my bookshelf is new, so I'm looking for it. But here it is. If you haven't bought this book, do yourself a favor. The top five regrets of the dying by Bronnie Ware. Fastest selling or fastest translated book in Hay House history. Faster translated than Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra. Bronnie Ware, 29 countries. It's an incredible book. It'll, it'll cut you to the soul uh, and make you really think about your life, particularly around life purpose and living the life that you were born to live, not the life that your mum or your dad or your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your teacher or the media told you to live. Um, so you want to be inspired. You don't want to be living with regret. When you've got great movement in your life, you have a sense of vitality. Look at Elise Comerford. She's got so much vitality. She's always moving. She's active and she moves in ways that she loves. You can see her in the ocean. You can see her surfing. You can see her dancing. She's got vitality. If you don't, you run the risk of dementia. 42% of all dementia would disappear if we uh, moved sufficiently and that is 30 minutes a day and that comes from the, the most um, traditional uh, dementia experts uh, in this country. Um, and Dr. Professor Michael Woodward, oh, he was on episode 42 of 100 Not Out talking about the 42% reduction in dementia. If you've got a great social life uh, and you're connected to community, you are connected, you feel a sense of connection. If you don't, if you've got social isolation, you are at a much higher risk of depression. You've got great energy, great nutrition, you've got great energy. If you don't, you're a 33% to all, 33% of all cancer is from, uh, is from obesity, 33% of all diabetes is from uh, obesity, and you don't get obese uh, from a great diet, okay? 80% of our body shape is from our diet, so... Um, 
you've got to be really focused on your nutrition. But remember this, folks. Uh, nutrition, having a great diet and having no friends and not moving the car, like not moving your body and not enjoying what you do each day, I don't care if you're having an organic chicken salad sitting in the car park, lonely as all get out, hating your job and hardly moving your body. It just doesn't cut it. Um, family, when you've got an exceptional family life, you feel loved. But if you don't, you go down the path of bitter and twisted and you don't want that. It's not a great place. I don't like, there's such awkward conversations when you're talking with friends or even with family, but with friends and they're talking so bitterly about their family members. It's a really hard place. So family is probably one of the hardest parts of the exceptional life blueprint, but I could argue for any individual in the world, they're going to find one part harder than another. When you've got great growth, you've got what I call inspired hobbies. You've got a level of enthusiasm. Behind me is uh, a piano that brings me a great level of enthusiasm. I love it. Um, reading, I love reading. I also love uh, Aussie rules football. Um, I love French. Like, what do you love? What brings you enthusiasm? If you don't, you got a sense of boredom, and you're just you're just channel surfing, and um, it's boring. You you really want to find something that that brings you joy, whether it's going to see local dance classes, a local book club, whether you love to play mahjong. Do you want to learn how to surf? A lot of the time, great growth is in movement, but if it's not in physical movement, it's often got something to do with the hands, whether it's reading, whether it's playing mahjong, playing chess, playing piano, playing violin. There's something about the hands and something about uh, moving the body where great growth is involved. Uh, Wealth. Uh, If you don't have great wealth, particularly in a rich country like Australia, uh, you're going to be broke. And if your financial goal is to retire on the pension, then your financial goal is to live below the relative poverty line in Australia. And again, I I talk about that in the book. I crunch all the numbers so that you know I'm not lying or being sensationalist or hyperbolic and making it up. Uh, You want to have a level of financial independence in Australia because we're not living on Balinese currency or Thai currency or Indian currency. We're living in Australia with Australian currency. So you can't have money issues living in this country because the we're already living in a more two-tiered society than ever before, given what's happened over the last couple of years. But you want to get over any money issues that you have and create a level of financial independence. And if you think you've got money issues, then you've got to deal with that or you've got to move to a country where it's a lot easier to live um, financially because it's very difficult to live in this country under the relative poverty line and still have a great quality of life. Uh, And then we look at spirit. And if we don't have our spiritual jug uh, filled, we feel spiritually broken. We think the world's bad. We think people are bad. We think I'm bad. We think things are bad or things are good. We live in this, again, two-sided world of good and bad, right and wrong, love and hate. And look, don't get me wrong. I know a lot's happened over the last couple of years to challenge those beliefs, but I'm going to lay it out straight here. What part of the columns do you want to live on? There are many people that are feeling maybe one thing, maybe they've got financial independence or maybe they feel love in their family, but maybe they do feel depressed, maybe they feel cognitively, um, uh, they're cognitive, cognitively impaired. Maybe they are feeling regret and unease about their career. Maybe they're not physically healthy. Maybe they are bored day to day. Maybe they are feeling spiritually broken. So you can look at any level here. You want to be on the left side. And this doesn't mean that you're going to wake up tomorrow and be inspired and feeling vital and connected and energized and loved and enthusiastic, independent and fulfilled. But again, I know I've only got a short period of time today. You can do what I like to call your exceptional eight and do this. Like you can move for five minutes tomorrow. You can do a five-minute yoga. You can go for a walk. You can go and 
earth. You can just walk barefoot. You can say hi to people more often. Be kind in your community. You can improve your diet tomorrow just by cutting out a muffin at morning tea and replacing it with something else. You can just be nicer to your family. You can read a book for 10 minutes. You can uh, spend less than you earn tomorrow. You can thank God or Mother Nature or whoever you like to thank uh, tomorrow. You can do more of what you love tomorrow. So you can do this on a daily basis. And the more you grow the muscle in each area of your life, then the more exceptional you will feel that your life is. But a lot of people have trouble even going, I deserve an exceptional life. A lot of people feel like, no, I deserve more mediocrity. If I said you deserve regret, dementia, depression, disease, bitterness, boredom, broke, and spiritual brokenness, like, do, really? Like, absolutely not. Surely. Come on. So there are a lot of things to talk about in community. That's going to be my focus for today. Um, we could talk about social life and community versus nutrition. I'll just tell you that social life is more important than nutrition. The research is in the book. Um, we could talk about the public spirit of your community, your peer group, four ways to become a better friend. We could talk about social media is not socializing, but I really want to focus in on how to become a better friend. I think that is a, um, it's a, it's a motto, it's a method, it's something that is important to all of us. And I also think it's not as simple as it sounds anymore. I love this Oprah Winfrey quote, everyone wants to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. And for many of us, Right now, it feels like the limo is broken down and we're looking for people to come and help us. You can see people on the sidewalk over there, they're kind of just observing, um, not really helping. And so the question is, you know, like you could even write it down right now. Like if your limo is broken right now, who is there for you? Um, who's sitting on the bus with you? Who's taking the bus with you? Do you have anyone that is taking the bus with you when the limo breaks down? That's that's the question. You know, I think the important point is to recognize, are you around people that are there for you when the shit hits the fan? And this is something that is incredibly awkward when you recognize that you don't have them. And in that space, a lot of people go into victim mode. Poor me, I don't have anyone I'm lonely. And what I want to really work on here is the more proactive approach, and that is the four ways to become a better friend. So you, instead of feeling like, I don't have anyone, you go and be there for people. You go and work on your life by working on these four steps. And it is is a great line, um, you know, be the change you want to see in the world or uh, be whatever it is that you want. So if you want more friends or more friendship in your life, go and be a better friend. So we're going to go through four steps here. Again, more detail is in the book, but in keynote slide land, I'll give it to you in the more visual terms as much as I can. I will read from the book at points because sometimes I want to share a bit of research just to drive a point home. But the four steps to be a better friend are to spend at least 200 quality hours together, uh, talk about your problems, be there in the tough times, and to help without seeking permission. And I actually think in many ways they follow on from each other, but I also know that life can be so random and and uh, shocking and, and unpredictable that sometimes you just go and help without seeking permission. Other times you actually just need to vent and talk about your problems. Others, uh, there's tough times for a friend and you just go there. And, and other times you, you actually know that you need to go and spend quality time with someone because that's what it calls for. Um, 
So let's have a look at this. This comes from, because a lot of people go, 200 hours, that's a lot of time. And then particularly when we talk about what quality time actually is. So this comes from research done by Jeffrey Hall. Uh, it's only three years old. It was in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. What he found was 50 hours is the time it takes to for someone to go from an acquaintance to a casual friend. And now I want you to think about people that you would say are an acquaintance that you know you might see them at your local cafe and you may have seen them at your local cafe two or three days a week for the last couple of years. Um, you may have had a number of you know five or 10 minute chats over the time. You know they're going from acquaintance to casual friend whereby if you then saw them at a party, um, you could see yourself talking to them for a couple of hours where you've just got this one-on-one -on -one quality conversation happening because don't get me wrong, like I'm deadly serious. Some of the conversations, well, some of the conversations I have with people at cafes who are acquaintances definitely become casual friends because I don't know what it is about cafes uh, or if it's just my nature, but you can have some ripping and deep conversations um, in a cafe whilst you're waiting for your coffee. But that's not going to go very far. You're probably not going to have their phone number. Um, you're not going to necessarily be able to help them a lot because you won't be close enough to them to know when help is needed. So then, you know, you add some extra time and that where you end up, you start sitting down with them at the cafe and you actually have your entire coffee with them and you end up adding, and I know I'm just using cafes as an example here, um, but you start adding to that. You start putting more time in the the, the, the money bank or the, the friendship bank and they actually become like a general friend, but I also might call that a genuine friend where you would happily call them your friend, not just someone you know. They're actually a truly genuine friend. And then when you really up it is when they're a close friend and you know the deep, dark night of the soul that those people uh, can be going through because they reach out to you and you also reach out to them when the roles are reversed. And these are the people that you've probably known for a long time. 200 hours, it's not just working with someone in an office for four weeks, you know, 50 hours a week. That's not quality time. So I want to give you some examples to what quality time is. And this is um, a quote from Jeffrey Hall in his, in his research is, you can't snap your fingers and make a friend. Maintaining close relationships is the most important work we do in our lives and ask anyone on their deathbed and they will tend to agree. This is one of the shocking parts of the top five regrets of the dying is people dying alone and craving friends at their deathbed because let's be honest, family react very differently to friends when death is nigh. It's a very different relationship that we have with our friends versus uh, our family. And again, anyone on their deathbed will tell you that they actually just want the humor and the jokes and the fun and the different conversations that friendships bring rather than family. So I want you to think about this because um, Sarah's got some friends that she started with. I've got a great friend for those of you in Melbourne, Alicia Loxley, um, who reads the news on Channel 9. I never see her. But we're great friends. She is 50% responsible for my marriage to Sarah. And Sarah's best friend from university is an incredible chiropractor called Ali Young, who is coming up on this Monday or the next Monday's episode of 100 Not Out. She's just written a book called Work Mama Life. If you're a working mum, I highly recommend this book. Um, but I'm like, we've all got to go on a holiday together because we never get to see each other. We live in three different states of Australia and we have spent our 200 quality hours together over the years. We're talking over 20 years. We've probably spent 500 or 1,000 quality hours. But this is the thing about quality hours. I don't tend to think that they expire. And if they do, they expire very, very slowly. So if you're watching this or listening to this and you've got friends that you haven't seen for 10 years, there might be an hour or two hours of small talk that 
you need to get past, like if you went out for dinner or if you caught up at a school reunion. But if you went away for a weekend, wow. Honestly, once you've had one or two meals together or one or two quality hours together, you can then kind of you can kind of speed up levels of the lift or down, free fall or free go up really quickly to like those quality conversations that fulfill the soul. Like I say, socializing is energizing. Like they uplift you and they energize you. So I think traveling is a real make or break for relationships. Again, whether you go camping with friends, there's probably people watching or listening today that the relationships, friendships have been broken by traveling. I know when Sarah and I traveled together for 18 months, the conversation was, you know, this is going to make or break your relationship. And for us, it made it. Thank God. Um, and uh, for others, though, it's a it's a deal breaker. Um, I'm a big believer in dining together, as Elise mentioned in the intro. I've done a lot of traveling to blue zones, particularly Ikaria. I've uh, been there three times, 10 days at a time. And dining together is one of my biggest takeaways that, you know, I think there's some it's in the book, I forget the stats, but we eat a lot of meals alone, a lot of meals alone. I'm all good for eating snacks alone, but main meals I highly recommend uh, for quality time with other human beings. Eating together is a great way to bring people together. Moving together, like combining socializing and movement is just next level powerhouse. So I think that's a great way to have quality time together. Just sitting and talking, you know, you don't have to eat, you don't have to move, you can just sit and talk, turn the, the, the phones off, the TV off. And then, you know, doing courses together, like learning trumpet together or dancing together or piano together or French together or activities and courses and learning like i just think personal growth doing that together that is just great because it means you have conversations like when i run events in um in the old days pre-covid where i run my two-day event in byron people would fly in and they would come with friends and they would then have this common conversation of this deep-seated eight-step level of how to live that they could all talk about like then and there but also for years to come so doing courses with others Sarah and I have done a lot of personal growth together together over the years and it's so good for our relationship because we've had that quality time together. So I'll happily share my slides here. So um, if you're just trying to keep up with my speed of talking and speed of slide transitions, you'll have these. Happy to send these to you, Elise, and uh, get them over to you. So think about this, folks. Like all of these quality time, how do I get to 200 quality hours of, of, with a friend? Moving together, socializing together, eating together, spending family time if that's where it is and learning and, and growing together. Working together, I don't really think so. Uh, money stuff together, it's not really, I don't think that's the part of the conversation here. Moving, social, nutrition, family growth. Spirit, yes, but spirit for me is something that you you bring your spirit to everything anyway. If you're not going to bring your spirit to those quality time um, activities, then it's going to feel somewhat inane. Step number two, talk about your problems. Um, now, I've lost the page here, but I'll see if I can find it really quickly. Um, this is uh, some research that was done on um, women with breast cancer. Um, done in the 80s, 86 women uh, had terminal metastatic breast cancer. They were split into two groups and they were asked to talk about their problems. This is done um, at the Stanford Medical School. Uh, so imagine 43 women sitting in a circle expressing their emotions for 90 minutes each week. They were encouraged to express their fears, anger, anxiety, and so on. Um, I ask you right now, like, are you expressing your fears, anger, and anxiety in any safe place? You don't have to have breast cancer, terminal metastatic breast cancer. Do you have an avenue to express your fears, anger, and anxiety? What impact do you, uh, do you think this would have on their physical health? Well, the impact was extraordinary. The women in their support group had twice the survival time of women in the control group. The women in the support group lived on average of 37 months, so a bit over th three years. 
after entering the program compared to 19 months for the control group, one and a half years. The support group also experienced less mood swings, physical pain, and fear than the control group. Incredibly, when Spiegel delivered his findings 12 years later, three of the 86, remembering they were all considered terminal, were still alive. So I want you to consider the physical health benefits of expressing your fears, anxiety, and anger in a safe place. Not to be the little victim, to be courageous enough to share your emotions. Don't bottle it in, don't bottle it up. Get it out, unleash it, and find a safe relationship. Like I'm very, you know, I grew up with girls my whole life. I get on a whole lot better with girls and guys. My parents split up when I was 10. I've got two sisters, live with my beautiful mother, darling. So I have always been of the view, if you've got anger and fears and anxiety to express, just get it out, cry your eyes out. If you are married to a man, just tell him, can you just let me get this out? Don't don't let him say, I'll come back when you're okay. No, let him be the, the yacht in the ocean, as I like to say, let the thunderstorm, which is your fears, anxiety, and emotions get out, rain down on his yacht, and he can withstand it. I promise that man that he can withstand it, and I think it's really healthy for anyone, man, woman, masculine, feminine energy, to express their fears, anxieties, and anger. So talk about your problems. Step number three to be a better friend is to be there in the tough times. I think, again, we've experienced this um, so much over the last four or five weeks in the Northern Rivers. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about this, except I just think it's it's really important. When you spend quality time with people and you can have conversations where they express their anger, their anxiety, and their fears, then you're there for them. Then you're there for them. And sometimes it is a bit harder to know if they are going through tough times. But if you've got good friends and you know, you generally, if you're a good friend, you're going to know when your friend's down. So be there in the tough times. Um, I know my, my sister has a friend who's had some troubles lately around alcohol and listening to my sister support her friend through that has been inspiring. It's just two girlfriends and, and I know my sister's friend would be there on if the roles were reversed and that's what friends do. They're there for each other in the tough times. So I'm not asking you, have you got people there for you right now? I'm putting it on you and go, are you there for others? In the tough times and it doesn't have to be your best friends it can just be your community members i've got i've got neighbors who or friends who said you know what i've never really liked that neighbor we've had plenty of barneys but when their their house was going under and mine wasn't i was over there helping them out and i was really amazed at how i went in that time because i didn't really get on with them on a day-to-day basis so we have it within us to be there for people in the tough times it's really 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 important and in step number four in helping without seeking permission is to, uh, sorry, into being a better friend, is to help without seeking permission. Uh, again, I'll put photos up here of Maya because they didn't call the council or they didn't ask the shop owners if they could come out the front and help them. They just went down with shovels and gumboots and like hundreds or thousands of people did around the Northern Rivers and they wouldn't help without asking if it was okay because when someone is under stress, when someone is grieving, when someone is going through a really tough time, if someone's house is just flooded, they can't project manage their own stress and go, oh, yes, I need someone to cook. I need someone to clean. I need someone to wash my clothes. I need someone to help me work out what's salvageable and not. They just need people to come and help without seeking permission. Now, I've made the grave error, but it was such a good thing that I did it. Uh, when my auntie uh, Carmel died, uh, not auntie Carmel, my beautiful auntie Carmel is still alive. My mum is one of 15. So if I get my aunties and uncles mixed up at times, I can... Uh, I can give myself credence to do that. My auntie Maureen uh, died, uh, what year was it? 2016. And I said to my cousin Carly, if there's any anything you need, just let me know. If there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. And we all do it. We've all done it. And I know there's people watching or listening that say it 
And I just want you to know, like, the person, I know you can see where I'm going here. They can't even begin to write down a list of all of the help that they need. The thing is, as uh, when Sarah was feeling powerless in all of this, it was she just started baking and cooking like a mofo. And she just started taking in children and helping and like babysitting whilst uh, parents could go and work through their homes of what they could salvage and what they couldn't and what they had to rip out and what they didn't because that was her way of helping. But she wasn't going to go, and particularly when you couldn't call people and there were no phone lines, the kind of the good thing was you would literally just go over to their houses without going, do you want me to cook something? You just go over with lasagna, spag bowl, and you'd say, and I'm going to take your child out for a few hours so you can just have a bit of chill and quiet and work through whatever it is that you're doing. So just go and help people without, like, seek forgiveness rather than permission. If you help them in a way that doesn't work, then, oh, well, carry on. So give yourself a score out of these. Uh, give yourself a score out of 10 for each of these ones. Um, spending at least 200 quality hours together, do you do that? Have you done it? Give yourself a score. Um, talk about your problems. Do you do that? Are you good at it? If you are and you know you've got friends that listen to you, give yourself a high score. If you're not and you just bottle it up, bottle it in, uh, then low score. But are you there for people in the tough times? Um, or do you retreat? Again, under stress, we fly, we fly away or we fight or we freeze. Now, in the uh, empowering way, fighting is they, they're on the front line. They're going out and helping, right? They're, they're like the hunting. They're, they're hunting help. Uh, flying away is that it's too, so overwhelming, it's traumatic almost that they sit in the corner uh, and hide uh, or they freeze. I don't know what to do, which is kind of me sometimes. You just eyes glaze over. Um, and do you help without seeking permission? Um, my recommendation is whatever score there is your lowest, then begin on your lowest score. But go and work on one of those, begin work on your lowest score. Now, I want to finish off with the five golden rules of alcohol because I think in a community like a national community of Australia, we have a very immature um, approach to alcohol and I'm not going to blame us. I'm just going to say we're very young as Australians. That's why I love Europe and Asia so much because they're just so much older. Wisdom of the ages. So let's go on a virtual holiday overseas given that it's possible right now, but it's very difficult. You need a lot of paperwork and a few other things to get overseas at the minute. So let's go over to Ikaria. We're going to go over to Yanni and Joanna's house and we're going to learn about the five golden rules of alcohol. Yanni cracks a few jokes. Joanna still laughs at them, which I love. Very romantic. And she's like, I like that one. I like that one, Yanni. Good joke, mate. Uh, Yanni is out doing gardening every day. He's walking the steps. This is his exceptional movement. He's got vitality. They're in their 80s. He's as strong as an ox. Uh, he's got a beautiful view at the top of this beautiful village called Nas. This is where National Geographic did all of their research in Ikaria to uh, call it the island where people forget to die. Well, the New York Times called it that, but this is where National Geographic did all of their scientific research to announce it as a blue zone where people live longer than anywhere else. When we go to Ikaria, um, that's where we stay. Down there, that's where Yanni and Joanna's um, niece, Thea, is our host. And they walk those steps. If, if Yanni and Joanna want to go and visit their family, they walk down all the steps down to the road. Um, Yanni loves to give us a tour of the house. We look at everything. Uh, Joanna, you often see her on the balcony keeping that beautiful home of theirs clean. Then we all come inside and they begin to entertain us in their beautiful ways. They don't speak a word of English. We don't speak a word of Greek and we have the best time ever. Yanni gives us the family history. You see the family photos there. You see the brand new flat screen TV, the hi-fi system there, the brand new fridge. Um, they've got everything ready to rock. And then they pull out the food. This is the cheese, the goat cheese that they um, make all by themselves. And then we begin uh, the five golden rules of alcohol. 
by rule number one, which is never drinking on an empty stomach. Now, again, I'm 40 years of age. If you're anywhere near my age, you've probably grown up in a culture of eating is cheating. Uh, That is the antithesis of how it works in longevity cultures, whether you go to Okinawa in Japan, where they like a bit of sake, or you go over to... um, Nicoya, Costa Rica, or Sardinia in Italy, or you go to Ikaria in Greece. They will always eat before they drink. It is just the way it is done. And they will bring out the cheese, maybe the strawberries out of their own strawberry patch, maybe the bread. Now, the only two things that Joanna and Yanni don't um, cultivate on their own land is flour and coffee. Uh, everything else comes off their land. So rule number two is eat when you drink. So you've started eating. All right, you haven't had a drink on an empty stomach, you've started eating, and then you may have a drink, but you're also eating whilst you're drinking. And why do you think that is? I know we don't have chat in the Zoom, I can't see the other chats, but if you don't pop it in the chat, I want you to think to yourself, why do you think that is? There's a very good reason. And the reason why that is, is because Ikarians never drink to get drunk. It is not how they roll. They actually roll by having a social lubricant. They love tipsy, but they frown on drunk. Now, the way that they do it, is by eating whilst they're drinking and they put water in their wine because when they dilute the wine, they can drink for longer and they love it. And their wine uh, is incredible wine. It's not like French wine or Italian wine or New Zealand wine or Australian wine. It's very different, but it is an incredible elixir. They never drink alone, which again, I know is a problem in Australia because many of us live alone. And I'm not saying uh, that you can only drink when you have others in your house. I think it's okay to have um, uh, a drink with someone on Zoom or whilst you're on a phone call. But I think drinking alone with no conversation, um, with only a TV or some form of um, entertainment uh, with no conversation, I think makes it far more likely that you're going to drink more. I'm not going to say all the time. That's I, I can't judge or generalize like that. But longevity cultures drink in the company of others. Now, I'm very happy to have a drink in front of my children. I'm not expecting them to drink wine. They can have a kombucha or some water or whatever it is that they're having, non-alcoholic. I'll happily have a drink if Sarah's not having a drink and I want half a glass of wine. I'm not going to be like, oh, no one else is having a drink with me. But I have other people around me, which means I'm talking to them, I'm eating with them, and I'm having whatever drink that it is that I choose. So you'll have some cheese, you'll have some... Uh, strawberries, you might have some tomatoes. And what the Ikarians do is they never have uh, wine that comes from outside of Ikaria. If it comes from the mainland, they're going nowhere near it. They want their uncle's wine, their neighbor's wine, their own wine, their friend's, their friend's wine. They don't want any sprays on their wine, no preservatives. They only want the local, organic, homegrown, preservative-free wine. Now, that's not possible, easy for all of us here. I'm going to say I think buying local, now I'm going to say for us buying Australian and New Zealand is local. Um, You'd almost argue that if you're in the east coast of Australia, is it closer to buy from New Zealand than Perth? But I love wine from the Margaret River. But I think I love spending money on anything local. And I'm going to include New Zealand um, in that buying organic or preservative free. I'm more about preservative free than organic. If it's homegrown, but you don't have a certified organic stamp on your wine, I'm totally cool with that. But I love it if it's preservative free, just far less um, adulterated. Um, and so I want you to think about those those five golden rules because to be truthful, not to lay blame, but we are a very immature culture when it comes to drinking alcohol. And, and our community has a really big... Um, part of this because when we go out and we have parties or we socialize with others, there's a real big expectation that you drink. And again, I've, I've gone down that path of not drinking, of being the one that's just having a glass in my hand 
whether it's water or sparkling water <coughs> or kombucha or coconut water, the best thing about these days is there are so many great non-alcoholic drinks. But now I'm on the other side where I love having half a glass of wine, one glass of wine, maybe two glasses of wine, it doesn't matter. But what I know is that for me is I don't, I'm a two-pot screamer. I can't have a bottle of wine. People say I have a bottle of wine. I was like, wow, I'm not that piss fit to be um, brutally uh, crass. But I know that I love a drop of wine. So I love these golden rules that I've observed in Ikaria over the years. Never drink on an empty stomach. Eat when you drink. Um, it will allow you to eat more and drink more over the long run. I mean, I've observed this at 14-hour festivals in Ikaria where they start at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and they have the last dance called the pepper dance at 6 o'clock the very next morning. And you've got 50, 60, and 70-year-olds that are outlasting the young ones that drank too quickly and didn't eat fast and didn't eat enough and they just tired out. Um, so don't drink to get drunk. Just drink to have a long, beautiful social experience. Just enjoy being tipsy. But you don't have to be drunk ever again. You'll be fine. Drink in the company of others uh, and never alone. And uh, drink the local one as much as you can or the local alcohol. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed today, folks. I hope you have too. Uh, any questions, I'll get from Elise here in a moment. Otherwise, we'll just chat amongst ourselves. Um, if you haven't uh, purchased a book yet and you would like to, um, where is that book here? You can do so over at marcuspierce.com.au. Um, if you like a signed copy, uh, then that's where to get it from uh, with a bookmark. If you're international or you prefer an audio book or so on, go over to Amazon or um, Apple Books or wherever they sell audio books. Um, if you're on the socials uh, at Marcus D. Pierce, I'm not that active on there. I really need to get better at all that stuff. But uh, in time, um, drop me an email if you are local and you're feeling the inclination to rebuild your life in that exceptional life blueprint manner, I will gift you a book, uh, marcus at marcuspierce.com.au. If you're watching this and you know people in the local area, I think now is beginning to be a time where we can talk about this a bit more holistically, uh, then um, just drop me a line and I'll get them a book. And if you like podcasts, 100 Not Out or Your Exceptional Life. Um, until next time, well, there's all that stuff. Um, may the rest of your life be the best of your life. Thanks so much for having me. And, uh, oh, I've got one more thing there. What did I say here? Um, oh, that's right. If I do more stuff, because I'm still on the fence about if I will. If you think you'd like to do this in a more two-day live event manner in the flesh where we get to kiss and hug and high-five and Elise can come and be a guest speaker and dance on stage as well, um, go to marcuspierce.com.au, pop your email in there, and then if I run a live event, I, I will email everyone that's on the list. And I'm pondering doing a 12-week online mentoring program where we do this every week and we look through each area of life. Pop your email address at the website and... Um, uh, I will let you know. All right, Elise, over to you. I've got 3% back. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. You're the only person that can get away with using the terms piss fit and eating's cheating during a talk. Okay? I've, been, I, gigg I've been giggling away here. It was great. Um, and I have been to Marcus's two-day course in Byron and it was awesome. So oh, yes, you have. Remember too. you invited That's me along right. that time? It was so nice. Was that yeah. the first time we'd actually met in the flesh? Or have we I met think we'd met once before that in Brisbane. I came because you invited me along to one of your um, wellness. Oh, wellness base camps, yes. And wellness base camps. So I got to quickly hug you at one of those and then that was the first time we'd at, at your event in Byron. I think we got Jules Galloway was there that day for memory. Yeah, I think she Brisbane. was. Yep, and then Helen, Helen Padron, who's coming up next, the darling Helen she Padron, did. she was at a base camp in Kayama. Yeah, think. and Joe's definitely been some of them. Yeah. 
but yes and speaking of helen she's coming up in three minutes yeah well very cool thanks for having me elise I've, thank I've absolutely you loved so it. much marcus no worries and did you see any questions come through again I no, just... there was no okay. questions come through cool 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 awesome all righty thanks so much for having me <laughs> no worries thanks marcus take care folks This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.